This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to First Edition. It's the end of the month, which means it's time to talk about the next month. That's right, Rebecca Shinsky's back to talk about the It Books of August 2023. Pretty good conversation. Tough decision at the end, so stick around and let's get into it. All right, Rebecca, it's August time. The the, the waning days of summer. One weird thing this summer for the It Books knockout, and basically taking a look at new releases in general, is that August has, it's a five-Tuesday month, so there's actually more Mm -hmm. new releases in August than there were in July, which I don't think is standard. Does your lizard bookseller's brain agree with me on that, or is that unusual? I think that's right. July has, especially early July, when people are still like really taken off on vacations, can tend to have some big beachy read releases and usually by mid-August it's slowing down late August we might get the drop of things that they think you're going to read over Labor Day weekend Um, that can happen but yeah five Tuesdays is unusual that is that's a lot of releases yeah and as usual was a Tuesday so there weren't as many releases on that Tuesday the Mm, the only notable one I remember was the librarianist by Patrick DeWitt was notable because it was the one that came out at that particular time yeah and as usual, I have tried not to study for this segment, so I didn't go look like back at my notes from our summer draft to see about August titles, but I, I do think that's the general vibe is July tends to be a little bit heavier. August is often like a wasteland of new mm. books, so I'm excited to see what this might bring us today. Yeah, what I found is I got my long list down to 15, and it was very hard to distinguish between 15 and 10 to get okay. th- those last five. I could have flipped and flopped several of them. I feel good. I feel like it's a good month. The 10 I like is real strong from top to bottom. I don't feel like there's one that when I hit the random.org generator, I was like, oh, I hope it's not second. There wasn't (laughs) one I was worried about coming too early. This time I just did them alphabetically in my Google Doc, which I I forget that Google doesn't know not to make definite or indefinite articles (laughs) an Mm -hmm. alphabetization consideration. So we get some of the at the end. But anyway, I think it turns out pretty well. I think maybe next time we should talk about what the book of the summer was by the season and maybe do a little okay. review. I'm not sure if I have a good answer to that. We talked on the Book Riot podcast about the best-selling books of the year so far. What we didn't mention yesterday is I don't think any of them were new releases besides Spare by by that, That's that right. uh, royalty guy. Mm-hmm. And that, <laughs> of course, came of out in January. Even though it sold like 1.1 million copies, if I had to do book of the year right now, I can't pick Spare. It doesn't matter enough. It I sold a lot. Either. I can't pick it. So I got to figure out a, some reason to justify a that. A January 10th release is tough for just about anybody to end up yeah. being the book of the year. Yeah. I feel like the yellow face train is picking up steam. We got some emails back when we right. talked about mm-hmm. not as many people were talking about that, but publishing people that you know, my book club and blah, blah, blah. Reese's pick. I think if, if Obama had it on his summer reading list, it'd be maybe, you know, coming into the clubhouse with a good chance for birdie and a five-stroke lead over the field. That didn't happen, so I think the door's a little bit more open. 
we get some huge new releases coming in September. And I guess that's a transition to looking forward. Man. The fall is really serious stuff. This uh, is going to be a up. tough segment in September and October. <laughs> yeah, there's two I'm thinking of not particularly. Looking forward but, well, to you know, it. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, we're into it. Up first, nonfiction. And for those of you who've been listening for the last few months since we've been doing this, I have... It's not hard and fast, but I don't include debut fiction authors because that's so hard to do. You mm-hmm. just don't know what you're going to get. But I do allow into the list debut nonfiction because the hook itself can be enough to come in. So this first pick is Anansi's Gold, The Man Who Looted the West, Outfoxed Washington, and Swindled the World. The author is Yapoka Yibo. It's coming out August 1st from Bloomsbury. So this is this is bad blood, billion dollar whale, but for a Ghanaian con artist, a long running fraud heist, tracks African history, starred review in Library Journal and Kirkus. They're putting Mm. some weight behind it. I think as non narrative nonfiction, true crime, not murdery true crime, but we still need to come out with a word for this. But in the vein of the feather thief, bad blood, dinosaur artist. That's Anansi's Gold by y- Yapoka Yibo. What do you think about including that? You, d- you don't know anything about this author, neither do I. This is their debut. Yeah. This is a journalist, right? Worked in Business Week, The Guardian Courts, has been a guest on All Things Considered. So we're coming from the world of business reportage, which from a reading perspective makes generally makes for um, prose and a reading experience that's pretty on rails. It doesn't, there's not too desultory, mm-hmm. tends to be pretty stripped down and lean and mean. I'm really looking forward to this myself. Um, I don't know that's going to survive to the end today, so I'm glad it's first. But are you interested in this? What do you think of this? As being yeah, this the is the first I've heard of this one, and I'm interested. I do love it. We have a term for this. It's nonviolent true crime. Nonviolent true and crime. I do love that in general. I love a bad blood. I love a feather thief. I love the ins and outs of how the criminals are getting their criminalness done, how they're doing crimes. It's Mm -hmm. the kind of thing that I'm just never going to have direct experience in. I would be so just convinced I would be about to get caught the whole time. The business writing is the thing that I think is making me more interested in this, because you're right. Those tend to move, like journalists tend to know that they've got to grab you early in a piece if they want to keep you going. And my experience with journalists who have turned their work into book length nonfiction has generally really been pretty positive. It's a much higher hit rate than like an academic who tries to branch yeah. into commercial nonfiction. I think you're probably right. This is not likely to make it to the end, but I don't know what's coming next. It might advance a couple more rounds mm-hmm. here. I'm happy to be learning about it and it's certainly going to go on my list now. So yeah, that it sounds good. I think there's a lot of potential there. I think it will climb higher in the rankings when I, I'm assuming this has been optioned already. When we get the announcement that, let's say, Daniel Kaluuya is playing this guy right. in a prestige A24 adaptation, which would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. It would um, be. This one is maybe sometimes this happens with nonfiction, especially that it picks up steam with an adaptation or an award or some other kind of thing sure. that comes down the road. 
I also would highlight for those listening, maybe come back around for dad's grads or no, excuse me, the holiday recommendation show we do on the book Riot podcast, but this put a pin in this for your nonfiction loving family friend members who like to read nonfiction um, dad bookie, true crimey. I, I need to do this. I don't know. Maybe this is a Patreon episode for that doesn't exist for first edition, but I need to rank the subcategories in Edelweiss by the order of how excited they make me when I see it because true crime <laughs> slash con artist colon hoaxes and deceptions is like maybe <laughs> number good. one. Yeah, it's the Michael it's Jordan good. of getting me excited for a nonfiction book that I see pop up in Edelweiss. So that's a non-seat gold. All right, All right. Up next. Nope, that's not it. Oh, Edelweiss, you're being very mean to me about where my links are going. I don't know what it is about the URL structure, but sometimes they just change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like this is supposed to be Elizabeth Acevedo's Family Lore, which is the next pick. But oh, yeah. it's some completely different books. So the durable URLs is very tricky. So I'm vamping now, but coming out August 1st, again, pretty big day. This is a novel by Elizabeth Acevedo, who you will remember wrote The Poet X that won mm-hmm. the National Book Award for Young People's Literature. Yes. Clap When You Land. This She's a major writer, and this is her first novel for adults. There is a woman in this family system who has the gift that can predict when someone will die, right? And that's, as you might imagine, that causes some complications, Rebecca. That doesn't go over <laughs> super great. You got to be careful with that. I can't imagine that. This book was one of my selections in our summer reading draft for the Book Riot Patreon. I'm super stoked for Acevedo to branch into adult fiction. I think this has celebrity book club pick written all over it. Lots of potential there. Plus, she's a National Book Award winner. So you're going to get that those nice winner of the National Book Award Mm -hmm. stickers on all the covers. I think this one just really has legs, so I, I'm going to knock out Anansi's gold. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that makes sense. Um, it was already picked as the, for the Indie Next list uh, for August. Also, I've often wondered, I think we did this segment at some point in our long history of podcasting together, if you could have any title, what title would you have? And I have always picked Supreme Commander Allied Forces Europe, <laughs> but Acevedo has National Poetry Slam Champion, and is that not good. the damnedest, coolest thing? <laughs> That is pretty cool. That's way up there. I don't know if I can be both. That would be that'd be a tough seven ten split to hit Poetry (laughs) Slam Champion and Supreme Commander Allied Forces Europe. But Esavedo has the goods. Now again, you get nervous is the wrong word, but the uncertainty is moving into a new genre, right? Adult. This is upmarket literary. You're right about the Celebrity Book Club. I think the if you look at the cover, it's got friendly for Instagram written all over it. Sure does. Uh, So. Uh, so we're going to advance that. And I think there's a good chance we're going to be uh, having a hard time beating that okay. um, for a little while. Up next, we have Half-Life of a Stolen Sister by Rachel Cantor. So this book is, it reimagines the lives of the Bronte siblings, Charlotte, Emily, Anne, and brother, and their brother. And it's funny. It's, I think, what my pitch to you on this, Rebecca, and I have not read this, is okay. the Apple TV show Dickinson, but for the Bronte sisters. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Are the Bronte sisters nearly as interesting as Emily Dickinson was? First of all, there's multiple of them. So right away, True. you've got... They all died interesting deaths. They all in, they, they all got... I think it's, they got poisoned by the well water they were drinking from. Oh, okay. 
Um, but here, chapter by chapter, the novel brings together diaries, letters, home movies, television, radio interviews, deathbed monologues, and fragments from the sprawling, invented worlds of the sibling's childhood. As it does so, a kaleidoscopic portrait emerges, giving us a startling intensity and invention and invention in new ways of seeing and reading the sisters who would create some of the supreme mm. works of literature of all time. I think that's interesting. Now, okay, Rachel Cantor has written some novels. I haven't read any of them. I've heard of them. But I think this is the thing. This is a literary. She's have short stories in the Paris Review, Ken Review. Right. Writer's this is writer, literary, if you will. Writer's writer. And maybe coming into the world of a, I don't know, a, a, this is the genre we talk about, which is spec, fic, lit, fic, mm-hmm. as being the tip of the arrow of, of the vanguard. And I don't even think it's the vanguard now. I think it's come into the main. This is the main of upmarket slash literary fiction that sells and people talk about. That's Half-Life of a Stolen Sister by Rachel Cantor. Interesting. I think she should have pitched it to Apple rather than made it a book. As a book, mm. it has book nerd catnip written all over it. Yeah. But I think there's a pretty high barrier to entry. Like you probably have to care about the Bronte sisters yeah. in the plural collective <laughs> to want right. to read it. Here's my bias. I loved Dickinson on Apple TV, but I'm not super likely to sit down and read a biography of Emily Dickinson, like a straight up take on that. I think family lore is yeah. still more likely okay. to have traction and be the it book than this. This is interesting, but I and I but I do think I'm more interested in it as a TV pitch than as a reading experience. If you think of it in terms of ceilings, like what's the best version of this from an it book perspective, or especially compared to Family Lore? Family Lore could be National Book Award winning Reese yeah. pick best of the. You could do you could do like a triple crown sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this I think the ceiling is a ham net situation Maggie O'Farrell which was a huge, which right. is, which is a really good hit and probably in hindsight would have been the it book of whatever month that it came out if you look at it in the fullness of time now but the heights to which either of them can reach are, are a little bit different um at the same time yeah the there's heights, not like a general reader that's gonna go pick up a book about the Bronte sisters yeah it may be an indie darling and like a former English major darling and sometimes those stick around longer like those can hang around Hamnet is still selling quite well and you see it around and on tables. The next one, the ceiling is when you've already won the National Book Award <laughs> and you've had Ethan Hawke star in a series based on something you've read. The sky's sort of the limit for James McBride now still feels mm-hmm. to me a little under the radar even now. But the Heaven and Earth Grocery Store, his new novel comes out August 8th. I have a, it's next on my list. I got a, a reading copy because, and I can, I talked about this on the, sh- on the other show, James McBride is going to join me for an hour to talk about his, his life as a reader for first edition. So that's going to come out around the time the book comes out on August 8th. I'm really looking forward to this. So it's set in 1972 and there's a new development happening and there's a skeleton that's found, right? And this mm. community comes together to try to figure out who it is. The residents of Chicken Hill, the dilapidated neighborhood where immigrant Jews and African Americans live side by side and shared ambitions and sorrows. So this is a community, a mystery. I think it's going to be really warm and interesting, but also with McBride's complications. Like he writes really interesting stuff. He does. He just does write very interesting, very character driven, very community driven. I feel like we like this tip this we get this in comps a lot. We talk about this of Gilmore Girls meets X, that small down, <laughs> close knit vibe. Uh-huh. 
I think this could have a little of that, but with McBride's okay. eyes of complexity, right? What, yeah. what I was going to say about Gilmore Girls, um, its political consciousness is, um, it's it's mostly it was absent. a show on it was a show on the WB <laughs> for twenty five right. years. You know what I'm saying? It just is what it is, and I, and I love Gilmore Girls. I'm a huge fan. But what I think people like these small th- the readers of Broken Wheel recommend. Do you remember that book from seven or eight years ago? Oh, they, I do. Yes, people it's love cozy. these community cozy stories. But they often elide the complexity in any community, right? And McBride is just not going to do that. But I don't think it's going to become everything's a bummer. I'm really looking forward to this. I have one anecdote piece. My sister-in-law was in town. The book was out. She picked it up. She read the blurb and she started reading like the first 15 or 20 pages. I'm going to buy this when it comes Great. out. And love she's that. a reader. Love to hear that. But she's not. She's a civilian reader, if you hear what I'm saying. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's the Heaven and Earth Grocery Store by James McBride. This is a, uh, tell me, I'm glad I don't have to do the initial <laughs> family lore versus heaven and Listen, grocery store here. James McBride is on the short list for me uh, of the writers that are like, why on earth is this person not more famous and beloved? Yeah. He just is phenomenal. The books are so good and nuanced and interesting and funny. And they, I don't know what it is. Are the covers not right? Do the reviews not capture like that these books are serious, but also fun and interesting mm-hmm. and complex and exciting ways? Like James McBride makes your brain kind of effervesce in a way that is really wonderful and pretty rare. And I think he's criminally underappreciated. Mm-hmm. James McBride is taking this one. I don't even care if that's a good argument or not as compared to Elizabeth Acevedo. He should win it, so I'm giving it to him. Okay, fair. In the court Um, of rightness. Wonderful early reviews, starred review in Publishers Weekly, Indie Next List, Kirkus, Library Journal, Booklist. I can go on and on. I think I've said this before. Both you and I, we haven't revisited this in a while, would still pick Colson Whitehead as the best, greatest living American novelist. McBride's there. McBride's not there, and he's not in that top tier. And it's only because he doesn't have eight novels. He's got like four, mm-hmm. right? And a nonfiction about J- James Brown, which is also very good. I wonder. It I'm trying is. to give an analog. It took Louise Erdrich a long time to be the kind of indie yeah, upmarket seller that she's turned into. Even won a couple big titles, but now she really sells in a way that she didn't before. Or, I wonder if McBride could have a similar trajectory. Or like to Barbara Erdrich. Kingsolver, who seems to just finally God. be getting like, other than you know being an Oprah. But those books sold though. I mean, ago. you see, James yeah, and King Kong remaindered kind of, still. What sucks? It's the inverse. Like Kingsolver yeah. sold, but wasn't there being taken go. seriously. And McBride <laughs> is taken seriously by the establishment, but doesn't sell. And he should sell. sell. These books are good. They're good. They're good. I'm really looking forward to talking with him. I don't know that much about him, and I'm sure I'll have some interesting picks. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing that one. Let's see. What is up next? I got too excited thinking about James McBride to be prepped (laughs) for the next one. valid. Learned by Heart by Emma Donahue comes Mm. out August 29th from Little Brown. Emma Donahue... Hmm. Was the most recent? That's the pull of the stars. But she also re- she wrote a couple of things that came out before then. Haven, Room, Room which sold like gangbusters. This book is also uh, I so the and, and the wonder. That's the other one I'm trying to struggle for here. So it's set in the 19th century in York. Two strikes right away from me. I'm sorry to say, <laughs> but it's on here. So just hold on, hold on, hold on. 
an orphan heiress banished from India to England at age six, and Anne Lister, a troublesome tomboy who meet at a school for young ladies in 1805, and they fall in love, secretly have a relationship in early 19th century England, an upstairs, downstairs, and a boarding school kind of thing. Donahue writes really interesting and well, and sells quite well, even in Room was a phenomenon, right? That launched Brie Larson, she won an Academy Award, that's a whole thing. She's a re- I think she's actually underrated as well. The books since then haven't gotten as much press. I think that going to a... Look, who doesn't like a secret love story? Just two kids trying to make it in their boarding school in 19th century York. Who among us can identify? No, but I think there's going to be something very readerly about this. I, it feels more like a fall book to me. Like if this was October, mm-hmm. November, would make a little bit more sense. Um, but I think without having read it myself, there's a chance that on a per page, like tug at your heartstrings, pulling for the characters, it's going to be hard to beat this. So that's learned by heart by Amy Donahue. Yeah, that sounds like it has interesting potential maybe for the more literary end of the TikTok crowd to make something mm-hmm. happen yeah. with it. Books yeah. about young queer characters are performing pretty well um, in general, but especially with the kids on the social medias. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I think the tough part for Emma Donahue is that Room was so big and it was really an anomaly in her oeuvre. This yeah. is the kind of book she tends to write. She tends That's to true. Write, That's a great point. Not I'm stuck in right? a room. Like, and we got to get yeah, out of here, Yeah, she kiddo. tends to write like quieter, more historical, yeah. often queer. But Room was this like thriller, a contemporary thriller, basically, that was that landed in a huge way. But if you loved that and then you went to the rest of Emma Donahue's mm-hmm. books before or since, it was pretty, uh, she's pretty unrecognizable. This writer is pretty unrecognizable to the, just to the Room fan. I think that's a hard pitch. It's also like real regression to the mean. You're unlikely to ever have a hit again as big as the hit that Room was. There's maybe some potential here. I think she's a, a harder sell these days just because coming yeah. you know down off of the high of room. So I'm going to stick with James McBride. Okay. The next one. We love a memoir. We love a poet's memoir. You particularly like memoirs about people getting away from cults. This isn't quite really that, <laughs> but it's in the same vein. It's called Pulling the Chariot of the Sun by Shane McRae, who was a finalist for the um, National Book Award for Poetry. It is the story... I'm going to give you this slug line, and then I'm going to shut up. An unforgettable memoir by an award-winning poet about being kidnapped from his black father and raised by his white supremacist grandparents. (sighs) Come on. Yeah. August 1st from Scribner. This is NPR interview, big oh, excerpt yeah. potential. Book clubs all over the place, mm-hmm. interview, mm-hmm. CBS Sunday morning. Now, I love a memoir by a poet, mm-hmm. but is this a poety memoir or is it Great a question. kind of escaped a very weird childhood memoir? Because a poety memoir, no matter how like bonkers the story is going to have some barriers to entry because the language will be elevated and it can take can take a little work. They're not going to grab you and just pull you into a thriller kind of listen to this crazy shit story. <laughs> you might have yeah. to do that. I'm sorry. Man, really interesting. That's it's really interesting. I will be reading this for sure. There's a high 
ceiling for it. Yes. But also... Low floor. The floor on it is interesting. Yeah. I think it's still James McBride, mm-hmm. but I won't be surprised if this one becomes a bigger deal. No. I, I think that's where either. I'm landing. I didn't read... There's not that many reviews out for it yet that I saw, like pre-pub reviews. It did get a star in Publishers Weekly. And Publishers Weekly okay. stars I do take seriously. They're not mm-hmm. They're not liberal with those. Like it's... They are no, not. I, I should do this sometime. I've been thinking about this. It's amazing what Publishers Weekly does week in, week out by reviewing the number of books they do. And, you know, they're not huge reviews, but they're useful and they have to do a pre-pub. I'd say one out of 10 at most gets a star. Mm-hmm. That feels about right. So I think that that's really right, matters. Yeah, it's not unusual to flip through a Publishers Weekly and be looking at upcoming fiction releases and be able to see there's usually five or six reviews per page. And you could yeah. flip through several pages before you hit a starred review. Right. The ceiling here is quite high. The ceiling here is uneducated uh-huh. by Tara Westover. Right. And that's as high as a ceiling as we get in this kind of game. We're not looking at the spares, but we're not looking at James Patterson books that sell a billion copies or BTS. We took that off the board. When we're talking about the kinds of books we tend to be interested in, Westover became a book club favorite. It still sells. Whatever happened to that adaptation, who knows? These things could take a million years. But for someone coming over to prose for their first time, this is very interesting. Also, it matters to me. I don't know if it matters to other people. A brisk 272 pages. Oh, yeah. We care about that. We do. Yeah. And I will be listening to this on audio. Um, I assume yes. if um, Shane is reading it himself, that will be a thing. Um, so that's uh, Pulling the Chariot of the Sun. Take a look for that. Okay. Now, this next book, it's not going to advance any further because it just won't. But it's a Viking title and it's literary criticism. So that's okay. unusual, right? This is a major. Uh-huh. This is a major work. It's The Great White Bard, How to Love Shakespeare While Talking About okay. Race by Farrah Kareem Cooper, coming out August 15th. This is going to be all over the internet, too. It's going to be excerpted in interviews and Shakespeare and this character and that. Um, NPR, for I'm sure. Gonna, I'm going to have her on the show to talk about this book, so I'm looking forward to that myself. Even looking at the comps, see, the comps are always aspirational. So what's the <laughs> mm-hmm. ceiling on this? It's a bunch of books no one here has heard of. It's Stephen. It's other <laughs> sort of Shakespeare stuff. But... A major commercial big five imprint with a book about Shakespeare and race is a big deal to me and I think to a certain kind of person. So it gets a place on this list. I offer it for you before you humbly, Rebecca. I know what I'm doing here, but I'm putting the great <laughs> you way. You do. Also, what a title. Yes. Excellent title. This is an excellent yeah. A-plus title. I've been seeing this one floating around thinking exactly what you were just saying this is a very exciting book for a certain type of reader Mm. i think we might see this on the end of year like best 100 books of the year from the new york times yes Yes. i think it's got gift book potential for the shakespeare nerds in your life you're right it's not gonna go any further on this list today Mm -hmm. but it did bear a mention and i honor that for you yeah. and for it, could win a, it could win a national book Critics circle award for criticism non-versation for that and viking for those of you who don't follow the imprints closely and i don't even as much as so this is one of the major commercial imprints at, at uh, prh like they publish big 
commercial yeah, it's not a small fiction. deal. It's yeah. not a small deal. Vikings, very, like the story of how Viking picked that up. I like to know where Advance was, by the way, but that's a completely different <laughs> question. Little insider baseball, too. Okay, moving on. McBride's still holding on. Next one. The Invisible Hour by Alice Hoffman, coming out August 15th, 2023. Before I talk about what this book is about, can we talk about the brand awareness of Alice Hoffman? <laughs> sure. Where do you want to start? <laughs> I feel to me, I've read a couple of Alice Hoffman books, but they kind of bl- anything that's not the practical magical stuff kind of blends together for me, and it blends together with the Alice Monroe's, which I know it's different. I'm just saying <laughs> there's the a lot Alice's. of Alices, and there's a lot of Anne's and Alices, and they blend mm-hmm. together a little bit. And I, and Ann Tyler and the Alices and Anne's blend together for me. And I have a hard time. And yet, Alice Hoffman sells. It's an indie next pick. I think there's a, I guess maybe what it is, it's, it's the literary fiction, upmarket fiction equivalent of like the James Patterson, which you know what it's going to do, but it's not going to do anything outside of that yeah. box, it doesn't feel like. I I think that she blends in, that Alice Hoffman blends in with Monroe and all the Anne's, Patchett, and yeah. Alice otherwise. McDermott, Anne Enright. Right. For but because it feels that way because it is that way because yeah. those books are all for the same constellation mm. of readers and this I think Alice Hoffman it was a lot to Oprah I can't remember the title of it but one of the early Alice Hoffman novels was an Oprah pick and like skyrocketed her it was one of the ones I remember like reading in high school and being like ooh kind of spicy Alice Hoffman just one of those consistent names like a tier below how I'm thinking about James McBride like. She sells, mm. but doesn't have a whole lot of like critical acclaim or the inverse of the James McBride problem. Maybe the same yeah. problem as Barbara Kingsolver. Sells well. The mm. middle-aged lady reader that drives book club sales and drives mm-hmm. a lot of fiction sales is going to pick up a new Alice Hoffman pretty reliably, and, and it doesn't really matter what they're about. I think it's fine and maybe even intentional, <laughs> like what you're talking about, of they all blend together happens she's consistent you know what you're getting um in terms of sales she's almost definitely going to outdo james mcbride and most of the other titles that we've talked about so far today but for like sticky it book people want to talk about it potential like nobody's really talking about new alice hoffman books they're just buying them and reading them like by the pool uh so i'm gonna stick with james mcbride as the it book because I haven't even told you what it is yet, Rebecca. That this is the Alice you Hoffman did. problem. I haven't even told you what it is. No, I didn't tell you. <laughs> that's right. You just that's, told that, me the see, title, and I have opinions doing. already. <laughs> I just told you. Yeah, that's the thing. That's so just strange, skip it, isn't man. it? And she's a good writer. I want to talk about it because she, is. she also does spec fix stuff. Like Practical Magic is a weird book. Like it is a that's weird true. Book. And that's a that was mm-hmm. ahead of the curve of introducing speculative fiction into upmarket slash literary fiction famously movie has a fandom of its own that exceeds the book by leagues. This one is, I don't quite understand. I started look. I look at the comps first and try to guess what the book is about sometimes, especially if I know the author. Okay. okay. So the comps are this time tomorrow, Emma Straub, the midnight library by Matt Haig, the lost apothecary by Sarah Penner, the invisible life of Addie Lou by V. E. Schwab. I was like, those are, time travel and fantasies and lo and behold the hook here is there's a character named mia jacob and she lives in this cloistered community in western massachusetts 
and she stumbles. It sounds like she stumbles across a copy of the Scarlet Letter that's written 200 <laughs> years earlier. And she's, okay. wait a minute, this is written about my life. How is this possible? Oh, okay. One of those. One of those. Does that make you more or less, I don't know, whatever about Alice Hoffman? This book, not Alice Hoffman, this book. I think Alice Hoffman is stranger than I give her credit for, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I think that's right. She is stranger than she gets credit for, but it's somehow strange, but not edgy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Gotcha. If that makes sense, like all yeah. of the, and I, like I love Emma Straub, but like time travel is often weird and the Emma Straub version of it is just not weird. And I really liked that book. Yes. But there's something about strange but not edgy that makes a thing hard mm. to sell, or at least hard to sell to me. And there have been other or to versions. get excited about for you and I to get excited right. about. Maybe that's yeah, and or to make it zeitgeisty. Like you have to have mm-hmm. some kind of teeth for a thing to be zeitgeisty enough to be the it book of a month. And I just yeah. am not hearing zeitgeistiness. And also, we've had versions of this story before, which like is maybe not fair criticism because we've had versions of most other stories right. before. But in recent memory, there are plenty of other novels or, or a handful of other novels where someone picks up a book and is this is about me. How is it possible? That that this is about me and they do some time travel stuff. So yeah, I stand by the judgment that I made before I knew anything about this title and I'm yeah. going to continue with I James I don't know McBride. what the blurb could have been. <laughs> Goes back in time right. and murders Nathaniel Hawthorne <laughs> and brings his head back. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Well, <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, listen, I love the Scarlet Letter. That's going to be an interesting hook yeah. for me. But mm, no, we're going with James, James McBride here. Yeah. Also, the Barbara Kingsolver report is an interesting one. It's not mean. I don't think it's a zero percent. But how much do you think it helps Barbara Kingsolver that she is an awesome last name, recognizable now? <laughs> Kingsolver. It's an unbelievable last name. If she's Barbara Hoffman, does she sell as many books? Right. I, I'm only halfway joking like about you this. don't. You don't blend Barbara Kingsolver in with anybody yes. else in the way that it's easy to do the Alice's and the Anne's or like my infamous Tom Wolf Tom Robbins problem. Yeah. Jonathan's, <laughs> remember t- 10 or 15 mm-hmm. years ago, the Jonathan's. All the literary really Jonathan's. Had. Yeah. There's no, other, there's no other name in literature that sounds like Barbara Kingsolver. That has yeah, no to be. Like, What's your favorite author named Kingsolver? Oh, okay. <laughs> Barbara. <laughs> Actually, I was listening to Armchair Expert last week, mm. and one of the hosts was reading Demon Copperhead. But really? Bot- botched the t- yeah. Welcome to yeah. the middle. Okay. Yes. Botched the title as he was trying to get it out, and then botched her name. But it was like, it's something cool or kingly or something. And they're like, King Solver. They So they arrive at it by this same method of nobody sounds like her. No one sounds. Yeah. Whereas I've, I still have, I already forgot the name of the author we were just talking about. That's not fair. That's All right. nice. Let's bring you it know, home. Sometimes it takes a while for a sophomore novel to come out. Mm, and mm-hmm. Skippy Dies came out 13 years ago. Gosh, that the, makes me feel old. <laughs> Pre-BR. I remember you, I think you're the first person I remember writing about this on your old blog. You love Skippy Dies. Oh, okay. Dyes. I did um, love Skippy Dies. You like Dyes. the boarding school novel, so it's a little unfair. It's um, true. Or, I don't know, motivated reasoning, whatever else it might be. The Bee Sting is Paul Murray's new book. I've seen some early reviews. People are really enjoying this. I've got some concerns, though, and let me walk you through them. First of all, fortune, rich people going under. (laughs) Okay, sure. Doesn't draw me right away. The second one is maybe a bigger problem for me. And I don't know. The Covenant of Water, is it the exception approves rule or that I'm an idiot? 656 Um, pages. This is the Paul Murray problem. They're all long. 
If you've got and, 13 years, you've got you've had some time to write some words. It's not the sophomore novel. Paul Murray had an had a had a sophomore novel oh, five or did. six years ago in between he did, which oh, I read right. and have entirely forgotten, which is Me a problem. Too. Except That's, that it's about oh, banking no. stuff in Ireland. But it was long and I've forgotten almost everything about it. I feel like Paul Murray's editors are not doing him any favors, allowing him mm. to continue writing 600-page books. Yeah, it's FSG, which is one of them. That's an imprint I always pay attention for. His her, her, his other books have been there. The other comps are Franz in Ben Lerner's Topeka School, which raised my eyebrow all the way to the mm-hmm. ceiling, but also Beautiful World Where Are You by Sally Rooney. I don't know what to make of this. There's a lot of adjectives. It's a family... It could be a a shambly family keeper satire. It could. It's not bonfire of the vanities. Is it Little Miss Sunshine? Is it, I'm having a hard time getting a sense of what this is. I, I will check this yeah. out for sure. Paul Murray still has enough Q rating for me to warrant a mention. I still, even though I forgot yeah, the second I think level, you're absolutely right. They don't even right. put on the comp list because no one, <laughs> well, no, that tells you something. The mark in the void. There it is, right there. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. It's a rough title. Eight years, eight years ago. I think that Paul Murray suffered from being a little ahead of his time with Skippy mm. Dies. If Skippy Dies, I guess we're going to go down hot take lane. But sure. if Skippy Dies had come out when we were getting Stranger Things on Netflix, like stories about teenagers building robots in the basement of boarding schools would have gone a lot farther. <laughs> if we were doing young, cool nerds the way that we have been for the last five years. And I think Skippy Dies would have had an adaptation that it would have been great as a show or a movie that would have landed pretty well in the last five years. It was too soon. And that was the lane that I wanted to see Paul Murray stay in, I think. Folks who like loved Skippy Dies. The Mark and the Void was a really hard right turn after that book. And I love Colson Whitehead. So I love to see a writer do a different thing in every book, but you have to execute each different thing Mm. equally well to keep your readers on the line if you're going to make those kind of turns. And The Mark and the Void did not deliver on that for me. So I've been looking at the beasting. I want to be back on Team Paul Murray. I'll give it 100 pages, but I'm worried as well. Um, So it's going to still be james mcbride for me on this one yeah yeah I, i'm feeling less confident now 656 pages i mean just it's a big that's a big sell like really oprah good. has been spending be three months getting people to buy the covenant of water <laughs> yeah you know? okay last one number 10 fortuitous i think because on august 1st big day august 1st mm-hmm. for titles Tom Lake, the new novel from Ann Patchett. Um, I was hoping maybe Harper. you were just going to forget this one. <laughs> why, why, why were you hoping I was going to forget Ann Patchett? Because <laughs> I don't want to put Ann Patchett up against James oh, McBride. Because you'll this make your mean. life too hard. Because your, your heart and head are going to fight a war here. <laughs> they are. Tell the people why, because I feel the same way. Oh, man. First of all, it doesn't matter what the new Ann Patchett novel is about. <laughs> An Ann Padgett novel is a good thing. Her hit rate is so high. She is so consistent. She knows how to get you from the first page. She's a perfect release for summer. I'm going to read this soon. She will outsell James McBride. Oh, no question. And and sometimes there is enough of a hook to make her zeitgeisty. I don't... Okay, give me the synopsis of the new Ann Padgett. I do need that. The 
qualitative, no specific one is in this beautiful and moving novel about family love and growing up, Ann Patchett once again proves herself <laughs> one of America's finest writers. Okay, that tells me nothing. Okay. You know what, though? You could wrap it in brown paper and put it on the table at Barnes & Noble well, titled A Novel saying. by Ann Patchett, and it would it's going to do things. Okay, She's lovely. Here. The book world loves her. Yes. She's the greatest of all Anns. In the it's, book world. Yes. He has the high belt, the Ann belt. Which is a hard She's, belt to win. It's the competition it for the Ann belt is intense. But the the space between Ann Patchett and the next of the Anns and Alice's is pretty yeah. significant, I think. Like it it was hard hard to win that, but like she's up there. That. Yeah. You gotta zag. You gotta be like Ann you have to be like Ann Carson and just go in a right. completely different way and say, you know what, I'm not competing for a paperback favorites t- table. I'm going for there immortality. Is- there's so much ceiling on the James McBride, though, because he still has so much room to break out. And Ann Patchett. So if you're taking has, a mover, if you're saying most improved from a Q rating point of view, McBride's McBride. Yeah. And Ann Patchett, I think, has she's about as broken out as a writer can be. <laughs> and, no signal adaptation. No. That's no, true. No. Well, Kanto. Or was it. What, did Bel Kanto? That hesitation you just did sh- proves my point. Don't, you can't right. remember which one it is. No signal adaptation, but other than that, about as broken out Does as she have can a big be, award. She's... Does she have a Pulitzer National Book Award? Or I think State of Wonder won something. She is a Penn Faulkner. Yeah. Okay. Final Dutch House was a finalist for the Pulitzer. Hmm. She has a very well defined lane. She owns that lane. Yeah. Mm. She has the bookstore. She's very beloved. She, she's very way. beloved. She's Time, like the one of the hundred most influential people. She's appeared on that list, which is wild. <sighs> I okay, but I think like fifty or a hundred years from now, we are talking more about what James McBride meant and what his books. You're speaking my language. Did I I hear what you're saying? Then we are going to be talking about Ann Patchett. But for we're not going to come back in a hundred years in Margaret Atwood's tree library thing. Remember that thing? We're not doing that. This is (laughs) right now. This month. I love me an Ann Patchett novel. I will read these and I give Ann Patchett novels to my mother-in-law for Christmas because yes. they're safe. And it's the very safeness and unmemorableness of them that I think is both a benefit in the present and a deficit for her in the long run. And I know that the It Book of the Month is not nece- it's not about the long run. It's about no. the short run. <laughs> it's about whatever we want it to be about. <laughs> I really hate this position that I'm in. Uh, can I read you <laughs> right the synopsis? Now? Can I read you the sure. synopsis? Of the you might as just buy yeah, me okay. some time. <laughs> in the spring of 2020, Lara's three daughters return to the family's orchard in northern Michigan. While picking cherries, they beg their mother to tell them the story of Peter Duke, a famous actor with whom she shared a stage and a romance years before at a theater company called Tom Lake. As Laura recalls mm-hmm. her past, her daughters examine their own lives and relationships with their mother and are forced to consider the world and everything they thought they knew. I'm not sure that it moves the needle from me, but there's a story within a story. There's the yeah. back. Yeah, I like the theater company. I think a summer mm-hmm. theater company is a really good it's... remember when moment. So I yes. like this idea. And I, I want to watch this I'm going to read this book. I'm really looking yeah. forward to this, actually. Me too. I am yeah. looking forward to it. I picked this as one of my summer draft titles because mm-hmm. Ann Patchett is a safe bet. You know what, though? I want this for James McBride, so okay. I'm just going to stick by him. <laughs> Okay. You know you have a lane and that the lane is wide and powerful when all six of the comps are your other books. It's very unusual. Both people, that's <laughs> not what they do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Because it's not that helpful, except when it's Ann Patchett. What is this new Ann Patchett novel like? It's like all the other Ann Patchett novels. Yeah. And And you liked those. So go ahead. It is. is I I don't mean it like to diminish it at all. What's the... I'm going to just look at all of the Ann Patchett books here real quick. What are the... What's the number one with the bullet, Ann Patchett? Is there one? Is it for me? It's I don't know. I think State of Wonder is her most interesting one because it's most unlike her other ones. That's the River Journey one, right? Yeah, that's the. She's in the Amazon. The characters in the Amazon, and they're like finding something from a tree. There's some overlap with Hanya Yanagihara's The People in the Trees, Mm -hmm. the themes of that, and State of Wonder, and also that Elizabeth Gilbert had started to write a novel that was basically this idea, but has been on every podcast in the world talking about how she and Ann Patchett had the same idea at the same time. And so Elizabeth Gilbert thought that the idea wanted to go to Ann Patchett and Ann Patchett's version of it was better. Um, Liz Gilbert hmm. doesn't mind ceding territory. It turns out she sure um, doesn't. Interesting. Uh, Unusual to hear that. <laughs> we need a we need a whole other road trip down hot take lane if we're going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, what's going on? That, that's a for those of you who don't know Liz Gilbert's new novel called The Snow. Is it new novel? Has been. Pulled. It was a novel to be. <laughs> yeah, novel to be. It's been pulled because of early disinformation, well, I, Russian campaign or Ukrainian I mean, campaigns to get the book pulled because it's a speculative fiction book that some part of it. It's said in Russia, and I guess that was bad. Been pulled is an interesting passive voice choice there because she pulled it. That's what she said. She asked her publisher very heartfelt talking. And again, um, if she felt threatened or whatever, I totally get it. It's just strange. It's a strange situation. I hope. I yeah, hope I think turns, it's different if she felt threatened mm-hmm. than if it's like we can no longer set novels in places where wars take place. Yeah, um, I can't believe. It. Anyway, that's a separate yeah. conversation. Bel Canto is probably hmm, the Dutch House sold very well. Mm-hmm. Bel Canto has that. Oprah, I don't think it was an Oprah pick, but it was in that era of paperback pages, like the early, those days, you could sell a lot of those kinds of books. You can sell less of them now. That's the, the story's moved a little bit. Book writer editor Kelly Jensen, her favorite of him is A Magician's Assistant, which I've never read. And I want to get Oh, Kelly I've never read that one either. To talk on, I would like to read that and talk with her about it. Maybe do that in advance of the of Tom Lake or something. She also has several nonfiction books. I love an Ann Patchett essay collection. This Mm -hmm. is the story of a happy marriage, a a shared weakness, kryptonite, for those kinds of of stories. I think wildly consistent, a high consistency is very hard to do. Commercial, critical. No, I don't think anyone really hates Ann Patchett. No one's like, Ann Patchett, get out of my face with this stuff. Um, Not a lot of edge to the Ann Patchett either, which is part of why it can sell so yeah. well and so widely. Yeah. That's right. And yet it doesn't feel it doesn't feel warmed over in, yeah, in this you know, way. Like it's still good. I still will read this and enjoy it. I still I think I definitely that will. Ann Patchett has achieved the Dolly Parton magic. Of you, if you pay enough attention to Ann Patchett, she's not really keeping her positions on things secret. She owns an indie bookstore, yeah. so she's like vocally anti Amazon and a bunch of the sort of critiques of capitalism that go along with that. Mm-hmm. You can pretty much peg what her politics are, but she's also not out being like super vocal and activisty about her mm-hmm. politics. And so the books can sell 
And that's definitely not on the page. So the books can sell to people all over the political spectrum without offend like nobody is offended by anything in an Ann Patchett book which makes for a great bestseller and Dolly Parton has somehow managed to do that which is even more remarkable inside country music but it's both like a magic trick and yeah a, a thing that I that I personally find is like worthy of criticism to be like if the way to have commercial success is to just never be offensive to anybody like that's a, certainly a choice that you can make mm. but it's not necessarily in service to like the progress of society or the progress of art and not that to bring us back to the theme of this episode all art has to be about advancing something but like james mcbride has a project like he is attempting to do something in and literally literature. interesting right and yeah doesn't, it doesn't have a discernible like literary movement or style it's this is the definition the highest level of upmarket fiction. I don't yes. know that it's literary. I think this is the very highest level of I think that's fiction. right. I think that's right. And I want to see a bu- I, I don't want it to be true that you have to be unoffensive to be an it book. And it hasn't been true. We've had it books no. that have been edgy and that have some teeth to them. But like this month, I want it to be true that James McBride gets the attention and recognition and breakout that he yeah. has been deserving for decades. So I'm right. riding for James McBride. Please tell him I, so. I can get behind that. I can definitely Great. get behind that. That's our August selections. There's will be a link in the show notes, or you can see the lists in the show notes. So let me run through them one more time. Anansi's Gold, that's the true story of the Ghanaian con artist who built the West out of millions of dollars over several decades. Family Lore by Elizabeth Acevedo. Half-Life of a Stolen Sister by Rachel Cantor. Heaven and Earth Grocery Store by James McBride. Learned by Heart by Emma Donahue. Uh, Pulling the Chariot of the Sun by Shane McRae. The Great White Bard by um, Professor Kareem Cooper. The Invisible Hour by Alice Hoffman. The Sting by Paul Murray. And Tom Lake, excuse me, by Anne Patchett. And we have said, and all the people said, that the Heaven of Earth grocery store is our prediction for the It Book of the Month. Rebecca, fun time as always. And uh, Indeed. we'll talk to you in another month or so. Thanks for having me. Thanks, as always, to Rebecca Shinsky for joining me. Subscribe to the newsletter. Link in the show notes there. Instagram, Twitter. On Instagram, over the next couple of days, I'm going to put a preview. We're going to have a very special guest for a Reading Lives episode of First Edition. That's a format I came up with and had an old show that only did that. But I talked to an interesting bookish person about their life as a reader. Set up a bunch of other interviews coming up soon with people writing nonfiction about the industry. Really looking forward to it. The best way to keep up with the show, of course, subscribe to your podcast player of choice, but also the email newsletter and Instagram is really where I'm playing around. I'm not really doing much on Twitter, just using that to find news stories and watch the world burn a little bit, I guess, there. Thanks as always for you guys to listening. Email me, first edition at bookriot.com. Suggestions, comments, feedback. I write back to everyone who writes me. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you next time.